0: Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 71 of the What Do We Do podcast. On today's show, I'm joined by the lead portfolio manager of the VanEck Digital Assets Alpha Fund, Mr. Pranav Kanaday. And we're talking all things crypto, from FTX to NFTs to making money in tokens in 2023. It's going to be a great show, so let's go. Welcome to What Do We Do, a podcast discussing wealth management and financial planning featuring key leaders in our communities. Hosted by founder and CEO
1: of Great Lakes Wealth, Dewey Stephan. Tune in to hear how you can plan
0: for and live your Your best life. life. Well, welcome back to another episode of the What Do We Do podcast. I'm your host, Dewey Stefan, and today's episode is another guest episode where we bring a leader in the community onto the show who has a story to tell, knowledge to share, and advice to give. And then we bring them on the podcast to help our entire community invest for success. And with all that is going on right now in the digital assets and crypto space, Pranav Kanade is with us. He is the portfolio manager for the Vanek Digital Asset Alpha Strategy. Pranav, thanks for being here. Of course, excited to do this. Heck yeah. This is unbelievably crazy. What is going on with the FTX debacle?
1: Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, maybe as a starting point, um, looking at the founder, Sam bankman Fried. Uh, he had a pretty big role in the in the broader crypto ecosystem. On the one hand, he'd built this phenomenal exchange where market makers and customers would come and trade. Um, he originally started in the space as being more of a prop hedge fund firm with Alameda Research. but he eventually built this great exchange that you know at some point they had over I think twelve, thirteen percent of the market share. Um, and And he'd also built up a big presence in d c, and he was kind of moving the needle or pushing sort of the Rolling the snowball down to get, to get regulation done, so that there's black and white rules and there was more clarity on the broader space. So he was doing a lot of, you know, good on the surface, if you want to think about it that way. Uh, he was a big figure as a result in the in the space, uh, but unfortunately, what it looks like is it turns out that he might have um, been doing some uh, potentially questionable things. Um, you know, we're all speculating here on what happened and how it all went down. So I don't want to put labels out there. Um, but essentially, what seems like uh, happened was um, a certain large number of customer deposits kind of went poof and disappeared. Uh, typically, when you're on an exchange, let's just say you're using Coinbase and you put in uh, $100 and buy $100 worth of Bitcoin, they're supposed to hold an equivalent amount of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So if you want to redeem or you know, sell and take your money back, there should be one-to-one matching. Uh, in, in this FTX case, uh, it seems like they did not have the one-to-one balance matching. And so the big question is, you know, where did it all go? Um, and, and, you know, we could all kind of speculate on where it all went. Uh, one version of it is that um, there was some of it or a lot of it that went to the hedge fund that he was running back in the day that was theoretically supposed to be separate. Um, but, but in this case, it might have been one and the same. And they were using customer deposits to do to do maybe all kinds of speculative things and that disappeared at some point. And now the depositors of, on the exchange are kind of left holding the bag.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to dive into that even more. But for those out there in YouTube land, Podcast Nation, I want to thank you for tuning in for the What Do We Do podcast. We have over 50,000 downloads of the podcast. We also have over 1.5 million total social media views. And as we always say, we're just getting started. Listen, Van Eck is a money management firm located here, and this is where we are today. For those of you that are paying really close attention, this is not our normal set. We are actually recording from the Van Eck headquarters in Manhattan. And Van Eck is an asset management firm that's been around since 1955, and they started with a uh, expertise in gold and a belief in gold as a hedge against the dollar and other types of you know um, current uh, other types of investments and whatnot. Well, now in the world of digital gold, and that would be Bitcoin, but the space of digital assets, um, we're talking about the here and now. And whether that's FTX or just in general, this is an entire ecosystem. Uh, for those out there listening and those out there watching, check out uh, season one, we did an overview of blockchain and cryptocurrency. And in season two, Pranav would love this, we did a uh, podcast on Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Dogecoin, these things called meme coins, okay? We're not really yeah. going to get into those today, but for our uh, listeners and our viewers, we really want to explore the space. It is insanely volatile. It is insanely crazy. There are NFTs. There are uh, CBDCs. There are over, what, 19,000 tokens? Yeah. These are also known as coins for those out there in, uh, in the uh, listening audience. So with that, let's kind of get into it. What are your thoughts of the space in general now and as it relates to FTX and... Uh, you know, this unbelievable event that's happened. Some say it's just the tip of the iceberg. Some say there's more to come. You run a, a fund here at Vanek that um, probably has some sensitivity to this on a, um, you know, an investor level. So why don't we talk about if, you know, wh- what else the fallout may be?
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the things we are constantly thinking about is who were these customers that had their assets at FTX now that they and cannot get their assets back. And if I were to break up that composition, it was probably other funds, uh, hedge funds, venture funds, uh, probably customers. So I think, you know, 80% or more of FTX's uh, trading volume seem to be coming from retail. So a lot of individuals. Um, and that's just my guess. And, and a large percentage is also market makers uh, who are providing liquidity on these platforms. So when all these, you know, set of people and institutions uh, essentially lose such a large amount of money overnight, the question to ask is have those institutions and people borrowed money from somewhere else to, um, to, to be able to do what they're doing? So that's the big question we're all asking. So um, one of the things we saw last week was uh, one of the lenders within the crypto space called BlockFi uh, stopped withdrawals, customer withdrawals, and that's likely because they had a bunch of their customers' assets sitting on FTX, And uh, they might have also even lent money to people who had assets on FTX. And so they can't meet withdrawals from their own customers. So that was kind of the first one we saw. The question is, who else uh, are left with sort of obligations to people who had money stuck at FTX? That's the contagion we're kind of looking to see. Now, the thing about crypto in general, compared to the traditional markets, is these unwinds happen a lot faster and quicker. So, you know, you don't theoretically have to wait months and years to figure out where the contagion is, you know, should theoretically happen in the next couple of weeks and months. Um, So, yeah, so from our standpoint, we're just waiting and seeing who says what next.
0: So from your standpoint, um, the assets that you have, you know, in a wallet or at a, um, you know, what a custodian, a crypto custodian – that's all you really need to be concerned about is if they'll be solvent, right? And if the investments that you put there will stay there. Obviously, with this fallout, uh, the price of many of the tokens has uh, dropped. Yep. Uh, that's, I guess, to be expected. And so you would have to manage through that as a portfolio manager. But in terms of, again securing or um, understanding that the assets that have been given to you, the dollars that you then invested into the crypto um, and digital asset space, um, is that the primary concern is to make sure, I don't know, if it's at Coinbase that it's going to be at Coinbase or, you know, if it's on um, a different ledger, it's going to stay there. Um, yeah. what, do, what are the main concerns there? So, so, so I
1: think, you know, our, our approach to this has always been, let's rely on the core technology. The core premise of blockchain-based technologies is to give the user self-custody. Right, uh, which is don't rely on someone, don't take credit risk to someone, self custody, and this could be financial assets like tokens and you know uh, crypto assets, or it could be even your identity assets in the future. Right. So right now, I imagine if you're on Instagram, Mark Zuckerberg custodies your identity assets. So the whole vision for blockchain and crypto is the user should have uh, authority and control of all their assets. So our approach here at at, at has been, at least in our strategy. Uh, that we will use a self-custody technology uh, where we shard our keys and, and so we control our private keys. So we don't leave assets all the time on exchanges. We only go to the exchanges to execute our trades and then we bring our assets back. Got that's it. a safe way to do it. That's the, that's the, the crypto way to do things.
0: Okay. So, um, what happened with all these other, um, investors and there were some high profile names that, um, had might've some of their assets, um, held there. So would, did they just, were they naive? Were they caught up, um, with the hype or were they co-investing? And, you know, what, what do you think happened there? And then we're just going to, uh, talk to what do you think is going to happen with the, to the next level of fallout? Yeah. Well, uh,
1: I think, you know, as you can see from the FTX cap table or investor set of investors they pulled together, it's kind of like your blue chip, best of the best, right? So, you know, the question is why – what did they see here that they wanted to invest? Well, on the one hand, they saw really fast growth, and that seemed uh, like a good uh, litmus test for what the product FTX had built. And anyone that was an avid FTX user loved the product as well. So they built something that was truly useful and valuable for people within the ecosystem. And Sam, as a founder, is pretty charismatic. And, you know, he went out and got commercials with Tom Brady and labeled stadiums and did the whole thing to bring new members into the crypto space. Um, So you put all those things together, and and it almost seems like a, for someone who doesn't fully understand blockchain and crypto, it seems like a good proxy way to get exposure to the space. Um, You know, someone, a builder who is building something interesting. And useful, and that's showing real metrics and growth. So I could see how other people thought of this as a potentially good investment at the time. Now, with, you know, with, um, I don't want to call it fraud, but with these types of situations, it's very hard to predict, uh, you know, 2020 hindsight is one thing. So so I think, you know, I, I understand why they might have made that
0: choice. Pranav, they say that when you see a cockroach, there are many other cockroaches behind the wall that you do not see. Yeah. So in this space, and some are likening it, it to, you know, 2000 to 2002 with just a traditional uh, tech. Yeah, uh, uh, back then, or two thousand eight with the financial crisis. So, do you uh, see any similarities just from a historical perspective, and/or again, um, are there other shoes to drop? There's another cliche out there. Are there are going to be other issues that it's just going to take, you know, I don't know, a week or two, a month or two, to uh, find their way through the system. Other bankruptcies, et cetera.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I think over the weekend. There was another crypto exchange that people were a little concerned about. Uh, You you know, one of the things all the other exchanges did uh, as a result of what what happened with FTX was they disclosed um, wallet addresses of all their assets. So they called this proof of reserves. They wanted to show the market, like, hey, look, here are our wallets and here are all the assets. Now, what we don't know is, like, what are the liabilities against those assets, right? So if an exchange says, hey, I have… You know, $20 billion worth of assets. The question is, well, how much customer liabilities do you have against it? So we still need to find that out. But as all these other exchanges started to sort of disclose their wallets, crypto Twitter went crazy and did all kinds of forensic analysis with these wallets. And, you know, one of the exchanges had some unusual behavior where they were sending uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of Ethereum to other exchanges, getting it back. And so, you know, you saw some panic on this other exchange because nobody wants. To hold on to the next ftx type situation right so there's a lot of like nervousness in the market which is resulting in people withdrawing assets and taking that taking self-custody or you know exiting altogether um so so in these types of sort of shock events you think you know you would think that all the bad apples come out and and they'll kind of flush the system and hopefully we can rebuild a better on a better foundation from there
0: Fantastic, and uh, time will tell. And there are those that say this is the opportunity of a lifetime to get in. They still believe, and it could be Kathy Wood. It could be other, uh, in, um, you know, novice investors out there that say uh, Bitcoin will go to one hundred thousand a coin uh, U.S. dollars. 250,000, et cetera, et cetera. So we're not going to get that grandiose and that, uh, you know, uh, crazy with uh, valuations and expectations today. But some say, again, with these prices and whether that's on Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these other 19,000 uh, coins, tokens that are out there. But um, in general, um, there are those others that say this is just the beginning. This is it. This is again. This is what we saw. Um, you know, this is the worthless pieces of paper. Um, you know, how do you defend that argument that this is just the unwind of something that's never been worth anything ever anyway? Um, and then uh, where are these opportunities? We'll get into those too.
1: Yeah. I, I think I go back to the core premise. What is this technology about, right? Um, to me, it's about allowing peer-to-peer interactions uh, without middlemen in, in sort of intermediating and taking a piece of the pie. So, uh, you know, a decent example is if you look at payments today – uh, if I spend a hundred dollars at uh on on Walmart.com, uh Walmart only sees ninety seven and a half dollars of that transaction. So the two and a half dollars goes to, you know, the facilitator, like a stripe or a square, goes to the Visa MasterCard, goes to the merchant acquiring bank, uh, you know, most likely JP Morgan, Bank of America, one of those guys, and then goes to uh the merchant acquirers themselves, like uh, you know, uh Fiserv or a first data one of those guys right so that there's a two and a half percent of every transaction is eaten up by these middlemen now that those transactions could ultimately settle on blockchains right so it could settle on ethereum uh stripe's been experimenting with this they made some interesting announcements on this topic in the last six months and even last week where stripe will make it such that so stripe's the facilitator of all e-commerce transactions on most websites um uh, so, so if Stripe can start allowing merchants like Walmart to accept stablecoins uh, like a USDC, then you could eliminate as much as 2% of that 2.5% of cost. So all of a sudden Walmart can start seeing you know, $99.5 and $100 transaction. Now extrapolate that across all e-commerce businesses, all brick-and-mortar businesses. If you can get these transactions, transactions to settle on blockchain rails, there's a big cost savings to the ecosystem. So the question one is, like, how do you get the consumer, like you and I, to spend USDC rather than use our credit cards? Uh, now, the onus there is on the, the players like an Airbnb or, you know, they, or, or like a Walmart to figure out how to make it user-friendly for you because there's money to be saved for them. So that, that's an interesting, one interesting area of peer-to-peer where you can get rid of a lot of the middlemen by settling it on a public ledger, a blockchain.
0: So in the traditional investment world, not – specific to what you just said, but it used to be there was a bid and an ask for stocks and yep. there still is, but back then it might be a $1 spread. Best- between stocks because there had to be two people that were walking on the floor of the stock exchange and transacting. So they had to make a profit in between, right? Well, now with technology, there's still a bid in the ass, but it's sometimes, you know, a tenth of a penny, sometimes, you know, half of a tenth of a penny. So again, over time, technology has has made it a better transaction for the customer. And so uh, that obviously makes a lot of sense. And so what we're going to do today, uh, Pranav, is we're going to focus on the – uh, reality that uh, digital assets are here, yep. and that uh, you, as a portfolio manager, believe in the space, and you believe that this is either a new frontier or we're in the first inning of a nine-inning ball game. I'll to kind of tell maybe maybe tell us that in baseball terms, where are we? Maybe we're still in little league and haven't even got into the pros yet. But with that, uh, we'll go kind of fast because our audience is younger; they're yep. vibrant. They want to know, like, this. Just get to it. Um, where are investment opportunities now? What should we stay away from because of what we saw today. Maybe we short the whole market for the next 30 days. I don't even know. Can you short those, you know, um, investments to a degree? So let's just talk through um, um, the whole spectrum of let's make some money um, in this space.
1: So to be honest, I'm not going to give any investment advice at all. That's that would be irresponsible on my part. But I can kind of give some mental models and frameworks to think about this stuff. Right. So uh, crypto assets, digital assets today is less than 50 basis points of all financial assets. So that's how small this market is today. And um, the idea, again, is a big idea, which is everything in the world we have today is some form of a marketplace. It's allowing human beings to come together to do some kind of commerce. And so those middlemen always take a fee. So if you can get rid of the middlemen, then these blockchain systems will thrive. Uh, so that 50 basis points of it, of what, what it is of the financial markets will be a much, much larger number if the vision comes together. If you were to put a probability on it, I would think it's probably 35, 40 percent. It's all really works. But if it works, it's the upside is massive. Again, 50 base points of all financial assets. So the question to ask is what needs to happen for this, the probability to go from 35 40% to a much larger number? And to me, those are two things. One is blockchains need to be faster and cheaper. Um, you know, Ethereum is scaling right now. There's uh, layer twos that are coming onto Ethereum that will make it faster and cheaper for the end users. And the other one is it has to be a lot more user-friendly. So the whole premise around peer-to-peer is you custody your assets, you custody your private keys. And for, that, and, and for that to happen, you know, that needs to be user-friendly. Like the average individual resets their email password pretty frequently, right? So that means they're constantly losing their password. Now imagine losing the password to all your financial assets and that goes poof and disappears. That's the risk. So that needs to be made a lot more user-friendly and simple. And There are a few people working on those solutions and, and making that whole thing work. So from our perspective we look at those things as the bottlenecks so we're primarily investing in things that solve those bottlenecks because the idea is if these bottlenecks are solved the probability of success goes up, and as a result, these assets that we're investing in will hopefully generate a meaningful return because they're solving a big problem that are, that exists in the space.
0: So, is that uh, you know coins and tokens, or is that again, um, I don't know, parts of the blockchain or traditional technology and you know uh, semiconductors for speed and power, or you know where in this ecosystem is it?
1: So, primarily, everything we do are in the token space because most of the projects we're investing in are networks and. The value accrual asset in networks are tokens, right? Ethereum doesn't have a stock next to it, right? So, so it, in, in peer-to-peer networks, the cash flow being earned by the networks is now accruing to the token. So tokens are just another form of a capital formation instrument. Um, so, so we're primarily investing in tokens, but we also could invest in companies directly if companies are making some of these things uh, achieve some progress. But, yeah, most of the value will be in tokens in our view.
0: Okay, and then again, it's kind of common sense that the granddaddy of them all is uh, Bitcoin, yep. right? That's the first token, and then there are um, uh, the, you know the secondary and um, other tokens behind it, and then there's all the way down you know the food chain, I guess. And it sounds like um, that within all the tokens that are out there, there are some specifics yep. uh, with different ones, and it sounds like there are some that are uh, I don't know. Um, you know, for today versus for tomorrow, or the, the utility of them is all over the place too. So besides the bottleneck, you know, what are some themes that are out there that you're looking towards or you know some themes that you're staying away from?
1: Yeah. So one of the things we say as a part of our strategy is we want to invest at the intersection of three primary characteristics, which is Metcalfe's law network effects, where you know every user coming on board to use a project adds exponential value to these networks projects that can get to 100 million daily active users. So most blockchain-based projects today have about 3 million daily active users. You know, Facebook is in the billions as a comparison point. So that's Part, point number two. Last point is tokens that have cash flow based value accrual. So if more people come use this thing, they pay money to use this thing. How does that money then flow to the token itself? Right? Kind of like if someone buys a bunch of Apple iPhones, how does that value flow to the Apple st- flow to Apple stock? Well, there's a share buyback in place. That's how it flows back. Right. So that similarly, you know, if a bunch of people come and use this product uh, that is getting a lot of users, uh, how does that go to the token? Well, it has to be some cash flow based way. So we're investing at projects that meet at the intersection of all three of those things. So what we've said is we think there are four categories in crypto that are primarily interesting among the many categories that exist. Um, Those are consensus layer, which is the underlying blockchain. Um, Application-specific projects. So this is another term for proof of physical work, where people like us are helping build networks by doing something physical in the world. happy to give you some examples there. There's some really interesting ones. Um, And then decentralized infrastructure. So things like, you know, decentralized storage or decentralized indexing, like just useful picks and shovels that allow this to happen. And lastly, some centralized, regulated centralized exchanges are also pretty interesting.
0: Okay. Um, And then where would, you know, um, some – just some random words in the space for our listeners and our viewers uh, about, let's talk about a DeFi. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about NFTs. Um, and let's talk about, uh, I guess let's start with those two. And then Web3 slash blockchain. So just yeah. some buzzwords in the space. Can you give some comments on those?
1: Right. So so blockchains are just kind of these ledgers that allow, in, in Bitcoin's case, there is no uh, programming language on top. It's not Turing complete, so you can't code on top of it. But, Ethereum is uh, a blockchain that uh, allows you to build applications on top, right? So the way I think about Ethereum simplistically is like it's Amazon Web Services meets Apple App Store. Those two, one, those things, those two things combined, because Apple App Store has apps. Those apps are usually using computational services from Amazon Web Services. So that's kind of what like these blockchains are. Uh, Web three is an all-encompassing term for this change in computation. So. Historically, computation has happened in Web two or Web two computations happened in these, you know, essentially siloed monopolistic companies. And the idea of uh, let's use asset, let's use blockchains that are uh, for the public and build applications on top. That's kind of the Web three movement, is what I would call it. Um, DeFi is one category that's um, built on top of public blockchains, so it's trying to disrupt the banks, right? So. On DeFi protocols, I can primarily exchange assets with other people in the world without an intermediary. So right now, if I want to trade some stocks, I have to go to TD Ameritrade, and there's a whole bunch of intermediaries that allow me to sort of do that. In the blockchain world, I can go to a decentralized exchange like a Uniswap, where uh, I can swap assets with other people that are also in that ecosystem without a middleman.
0: That's uh, Uniswap, not SushiSwap. (laughs) <laughs> have, Correct. You of, have you heard of that one?
1: Yeah, swap is like a copy or fork of Uniswap. And some right, on, right
0: on, right uh, on. All right, two more in that space. One would be staking, talking yeah. about staking your coins.
1: You asked me about NFTs. So the NFT thing is kind of interesting. Um, NFTs are just, to us, a file format. So tokens, in general, are are fungible, right? My one Ethereum is the same as your one Ethereum that you have. Non-fungible just means that my uh, asset that sits on a ledger is unique. So it, it, but but if, what it would really the, the big idea then is like, okay, so we could actually ascribe uniqueness to digital assets across the board. Um, and, and, you know, the use cases become uh, pretty interesting from there, right? So, so everyone, likes to talk, everyone wants to talk about the monkey pictures, but, like, the monkey pictures is kind of silly. Like, that's just, like, a silly manifestation of this technology. What's more interesting is using sort of NFT technology to establish identity for people on, uh, on the blockchain itself and using some form of that to eliminate the spam problem that exists on the Internet, right? Like, Twitter's biggest problem are fake bots, Well, you can eliminate fake bots if you can verify identity. Well, how do you make sure that you can verify someone's identity without you custodying their identity information? Well, that's where sort of these blockchain-based technologies come in. That's where I think NFT use cases can become interesting because if your identity can be an NFT that you custody yourself and you share certain parts of it to show show an app you're using that you are not a bot or a fake person, then that solves a lot of the Internet's problems. So... So NFTs today, the, what you think of is very different from where it's all going, in my view.
0: So yeah. absolutely, as you said, with the monkey pictures, but again, other you know uh, digital pictures. So that just kind of seems to be the investment that's there. Let's create a digital picture. Right. It could be of uh, monkeys, or it could be of you know houses or whatever. And because it's an original, right. that has some value, and you can trade these and sell them. So it um, you know that's what you're saying is not where um, the true value is in the technology. Is that right? Yep. Exactly, yeah. Fair enough. Well, we're going to switch to a part of the show, Pranav, that we call the – what Do We Do podcast mm-hmm. turns into the What Pranav Do podcast, okay? So this is the part of the show where we say, What Pranav Do? And what we mean by that is, what would you tell your 18-year-old self or other 18-year-olds out there today that are so excited and so wanting to invest in digital assets, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, the blockchain, this entire space? It's all over the place, meme coins, etc. So what would you tell yourself if you're 18, or again, the, the massive amount of listeners out there that are 18, we can have them invest for success.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think from an educational perspective, I would say learn computer science, learn how to code, and learn history and economics, because those three things are the most useful thing, like just knowledge or foundational knowledge you could have in this space, because that's where the like, crypto meets, right? Economics, history, and, um, and computer science, and, and just coding, uh, but more just day-to-day, Uh, Get yourself a MetaMask wallet. Hopefully, convince your parents to give you a little bit of money and just start playing around with stuff. Right? It's just all a toy at the end of the day. And the more you kind of use it, the more you'll intuitively understand, and you'll ultimately understand why it's a better way of doing things than the way we do things today. And that's kind of the light bulb moment for me. You know that you know when I started, I started playing around with different applications built on the blockchain. You know, 2017, 2018. So even though it was like a crappy user experience. You could then see where it's all going, but also then track the progress the space was making. And so when there are breakthroughs that happen in the space, you can benchmark it against where it was a year ago and see where it's all going. And that's how you get a feel for it.
0: Fantastic. That makes a lot of sense. So all of you listeners, all of you viewers, please pay very special attention. Um, Words from the wise. Um, I'd like to wrap up the show by having you just give us a little bit of what you see the future being. And again, if you want to go on record and tell us uh, what the U.S. dollar price will be for any of these tokens, that would be fantastic. Um, If you want to just, again, talk about the long-term places to invest within this ecosystem, that would be okay. But let's go, uh, let's see what we can do to, again, uh, um, give our audience, you know, a little bit of the uh, meat and potatoes and a little sizzle with the steak. Uh,
1: not going to give price targets in full I'm Sorry about that. Um, I think, look, I think crypto assets today is around 700, 800 billion. Um, if the technology were to work and gain meaningful adoption, I could see it being in the tens of trillions in the future. So you can kind of do a multiplier on that, right? Now, the question is who wins, who loses? There's 19,000 tokens out there. That number is growing exponentially. We think ultimately there'll be like 50 to 100 projects that really accrue all that value, right? So if you go to the Apple App Store, there's two and a half million apps, but most of the GDP of the Apple App Store kind of sits within 50 apps, right? Like Uber and DoorDash are way more valuable than the bottom you know, half a million apps altogether. So that's how we think the space will evolve. So, um, you know, so w- which areas to focus on? How do you think about that? I just go back to the very basics, which is does this product... Have the potential to make human life a lot better in the future. Like, does that like ultimately it kind of boil things down to the best products in the world save people time? Um, and you know, so you want to invest in products that really save people time. Now, one could be like, you know, it saves people money and hence saves people time over you know decades. Um, but in general, products are supposed to save people time. So um, yeah, so find those things within the crypto space that ultimately can do that.
0: Okay. Well, we'll leave it there for today. Hopefully we'll get a chance to have you come out to Detroit on our turf, and we'll, uh, we'll talk more in detail about digital asset investing and all things uh, in the space. Uh, Pranav, it was great having you on today. I want to give a great big booyah to thank you. Thanks again for coming on. It's been fantastic. And to our listeners, our watchers, our viewers, our audience, thank you for uh, tuning in for another episode of the What Do We Do podcast. And as we always say, live your best life. Be radically generous, a great big booyah to ya. We are over 1.5 million total social media views, and we're just getting started. Seek advice from a licensed professional.